It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Brianna and Caleb. Listen in as your hosts discuss their favorite books of the year, Piranesi, and I Who Have Never Known Men. here we are back again me and brianna back in the the book club times it's been a little while since our last uh, book discussion and today brianna's bringing us something a little bit different i can't remember why exactly we came up with this uh, series that you wanted to do why not well it was just uh you know a different different flavor for us as we both brought our favorite books that we read last year not necessarily ones that came out last year but just favorite ones that stood out for us the most and what was your pick I Who Have Never Known Men. Yeah, French book from 1995. Belgian. Belgian, sorry. And I picked a book from a little bit more recently from 2020, uh, Piranesi, from uh, Susanna Clark. And I think we're going to start with talking about your book a little bit. And I'm curious why you, you picked this one and why you read it in the first place. Well, there wasn't really any question. I always knew it was my favorite book of the year. It's probably my favorite book that I ever read. Oh, wow. This is strong. Yeah, and you were talking about it definitely a lot when you were first reading it, and it was getting me interested. So I, I there was a chance that I might have ended up reading it either way had you not picked it for this, but yeah, definitely further down the line. Probably not. Well, I was I was intrigued, you know. <laughs> you never read books that I like unless I choose it for a podcast. That's the whole reason we do these book podcasts <laughs> at all is just so that you can read books that I like and we can talk about them. I don't care about the podcast. Hey, every now and again, I add them to my Kobo collection. I'm like, okay, one day I'll get to that book. Sure. But yeah, it definitely takes me a while. <laughs> um, well, I guess let's, yeah, before we switch over to Paranasia, I guess we can talk about this one first. Um, so this book definitely has its, uh, I would say right up from the front that people should definitely check it out. And if you haven't read it, uh, read it before listening to this discussion, because we're going to be spoiling uh, a lot of the stuff in it. I don't think that it's a book that really gets ruined by spoilers anyways, because it's more about like the experience of reading it, not about the plot. Yeah, and to be fair, the, the story itself kind of spoils up front what's going to happen yeah. in a lot of it. Because uh, it's written from the perspective of someone who I guess is maybe like 40, 50 years out from the beginning of it. And so a lot of reflections throughout that kind of tell you right off the bat that you're not going to get what you're looking for if you're hoping for answers or a mystery that... You know, come to a satisfactory conclusion and that's a big part of the book too is just the fact that these uh well i guess just to lay out the plot a little bit so it takes place in an, an unknown future unknown planet i guess even to some degree but that's a question that comes up throughout the book as these uh, 40 women find themselves without any reason uh or any explanation locked up in this bunker for several years before they're finally freed and the bunker stuff is is grim and 
yeah, just an unpleasant section of the book, but it, but it definitely a good part of the book. And then afterwards, we get this this long kind of many years, de many decades, I should say, extended uh, section where they're just trying to find a way to live and try to find a way to find meaning in what their life is now, as they're living in this barren planet, going from bunker to bunker and finding that the other people who are trapped just like them didn't end up as lucky. They never managed to escape as our group did. I couldn't tell in the book if it was out of pure luck or if maybe this was part of the experiment as well. And so... Yeah, I guess that's a fair question. Like, maybe uh, maybe it was always planned that... Or maybe, like, the way the timelines worked is that, like, it would always be at least, like, one bunker getting opened at all times or something. Yeah, and in the book, in the early sections, and I actually, I guess, throughout, focuses a lot on how time impacts people who are kind of removed from the regular sphere of time. And so... Early on, one of the exciting things in the book is our, our lead character discovers a way to give back time to, to her community there, her 40 other prisoners. And we figure out that the... 39 other. 39, yeah. <laughs> we figure out that the guards and the way the prison's set up in general with meal times and lights out times, it's all kind of, at least in our character's perspective, seemingly random. But maybe in the, the grander scheme of this, whatever this experiment is, maybe there's a more orchestrated element there, so... And I don't recall there being, because our lead character is the, the only kid who was locked up in the prison of the 40 women. And I don't think that they ever came across another kid. No. Well, because their their hypothesis was that she was just put there by accident. That, But that because they didn't want to um, give any like new information or any idea of what was going on, they once she was in there, they couldn't remove her. And that's definitely an interesting part of the book and something that you really don't really see too often when our, our characters just have no information on what's going on. There's never any information provided. Maybe a couple new little clues throughout. For instance, we later find out that seemingly the guards maybe were, were in their own way prisoners, but even that is not really clear. But we don't really find that out. We just... Yeah. It's basically just the only new information they get is new questions or new ideas, but... Yeah. No actual answers, nothing definitive. Yeah, I could maybe see somebody not really liking that, but for me I th I thought it worked throughout the book. Well, yeah, I think I think it is the way that you connect to the character because you you both have all these questions and never get any answers, so it's what makes you feel close to the character, I think. Yeah. Um but how about you? What are what are some things that stood out for you a lot in this book? Um, I liked that even though the main character felt like she was so, like, removed from the normal human experience, so many of the things that she, like, thought about and the ideas that she came up with were so relatable, mm -hmm. which I think is interesting because, you know, she had nothing to compare to because she didn't know what the normal world or people or children were like, but she just had so many thoughts that... She was so different from other people and just, like, barely human in a way because she didn't have, like, what she considered, like, a normal human experience at all. But when you actually, like, look at the way that she thinks and the thoughts that she has, it's just, like, the normal thoughts that anybody would have. Yeah, no, I, I definitely like that aspect of it, too. And I like the her kind of evolution with how she's seen the other woman around her. Because being a little kid in this situation not really 
having the ability to understand as much as the other woman did, they would kind of like push her off to the side and be like, okay, you know, she early on, she is too, too young to even be able to have these kind of conversations with. So they'd always kind of isolate her off. And she always felt like she was separate from them and kind of hated them. And I thought the way that they evolved that over time and how she even began to reflect on her own childhood experience. I thought a lot of that was also uh, really uh, well done. Yeah, because like when she started getting into her teenage years, she went through like that phase of being like, oh, like I'm so much better and smarter than all of them. And like, they're just all stupid. But then like, as she reflected back in like her old age, like she realized that she was a lot more similar to them than she ever thought. And she just wasn't understanding them. Mm -hmm. So it was like very like seeing her like progression in to how she views the other women is very like well-rounded yeah it was all just so sad though <laughs> it's all just so sad it's interesting because it's sad in some ways but hopeful in other ways like you want to say that it's like a dystopian book almost but then depending on how you look at it like the second half could be also viewed as ut- utopian in a way it just, just depends on your perspective of it. Yeah, like all the uh, like the exploration of the planet, even though they keep just finding more and more bunkers. Mm-hmm. But they have everything they need. Yeah. And, you know, total freedom. And building up their own little communities, some of them pairing off. And then mm-hmm. yeah, the way that they would respect the dead every time they came to a new bunker, build a little, in a way, shrine for them. And also hopeful that maybe if anyone else survived, that they would find the shrine and know that someone else lived out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought a lot of that stuff was very pretty. But again, and then it's bookended with the slow death of all the other women. And that that stuff I thought was just very, yeah, very dour and, and sad. Yeah, it was sad. Yeah, and then our, our lead character as it goes on becomes, in a way, the role of the, uh, like, the the peace giver. I don't know what to say for the, the one who gives euthanasia to all the sick and dying elder women. And because she's so much younger, they all already know and... and keep telling her like oh like you know you're gonna have to prepare yourself because one day you're gonna be the only one left we're all many years older and so that kind of impending loneliness even though our lead doesn't really seem that bothered by it for a lot of the book no i don't think she had much much problems with it and like in fact when the the last woman died she was happy about it because it meant that she didn't have to like go off what other people wanted to do and could just do everything she wanted that i thought was especially sad the last woman that died Neither one of them ever really had much relationship or liked each other. They just kind of existed and they would maybe share some some time together, but just sit in silence because they had nothing to say and just waiting for the other one to die. It's like, oh man. You know, I thought it was interesting too, like uh, actually with Piranesi, the next book, because both of them deal with people who are imprisoned in a way, mm-hmm. that um, in both of them, neither one of them had a a name by the end. It's kind of, I didn't know what to call them in my notes for both. Yeah, that is interesting. It's interesting, yeah, that the the two books are quite similar in a lot of ways, but with yours, like, you do pretty much have everything answered at the end, and with mine, you don't. Yeah, yeah. It's like two, like, very similar stories done in very different ways. Yeah, and I I like the mystery and the description of the planet that they were on, and they kept wondering, like, is this Earth? Like, there's no seasons, it's all just this semi-barren land. Mm-hmm. occasionally there'd be like little bits of forestry but mostly it was just like almost desert mm-hmm. but they can't know for sure because like they know that something happened like for all they know there was like a giant apocalypse that just destroyed the planet and changed it so much like they don't they have no way to know for sure because they don't really understand what happened yeah and i like the way they would describe the women being like 
for a while feeling like a, a kind of sense of control or engagement trying to bring back those memories because a lot of the book they try to not speak of it and ignore it but then for a brief window they're like oh okay let's finally get this out and let's see if we can put something together and there's that kind of thrill but then it all just leads nowhere and it's back to that same hopelessness mm-hmm. i thought that kind of back and forth i was really well done as well i just found it so interesting how like you have to wonder like the author of this book like how her mind works because like the stuff that happened in the book like the clues they gave that you could have towards solving what happened like there's just there's just no reasonable explanation when you put everything together like nothing make nothing really makes sense yeah and at first it may seem like it's just like some way for like just men to experiment and separate women and treat them like these cattle but when you realize that they have so many different um so many different bunkers men and women and Mm -hmm. all of them seemingly just abandoned for no reason Mm -hmm. just left all the people to die yeah it's like what what could have this possibly been and it's like the the fact that the guards just disappeared without a trace like it's not like yeah except for that one bus of of dead guards yeah and they all died non-violently it's like they didn't expect it at all even the driver didn't expect it but they only find the one bus so yeah so it's like everybody else must have somehow you know, either left the planet or gone into underground bunkers like she was in that she never found. Or, I don't know, maybe they were in some kind of like parallel reality and they went back to the normal reality. Yeah, and there's a continual question throughout the book because every bunker they go to, all the the lights are still on, the fridges are still working, the water. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, okay, maybe one day we'll find a power plant and we'll figure out, you know, maybe some clue to what's going on here. But no, they never find it. And even the kind of... uh, the final place for our, our character to end up this little hidden i guess personal bunker for maybe a command control to live in it looks like no one had ever actually come there and it was just yeah like everything just so so mysterious yeah and the fact that all the guards had like a book about gardening yeah in a arid place where you really couldn't grow anything it's like there's just so many questions and it's like when you put all the things together, there's just nothing that completely makes sense. It's, like, almost impressive how, like, many clues she gave without pointing towards any possible explanation. Yeah. Like, there's lots of, like, oh, like like you said, like, maybe it was, like, some kind of experiment. Or, but when you put everything together, like, nothing quite makes sense. Yeah, and the sad part is maybe if any of the other women survived to make it to that final bunker mm-hmm. maybe they could have sussed something out i mean they do say or at least our lead says throughout the book that they were all kind of you know just regular people maybe they worked in shops or you know were just in general not very well educated yeah so maybe they wouldn't have been able to figure out any of the technology that they find in the bunker and that also leads to more questions too because it's like it's all from her perspective so like I don't know. It makes you wonder if maybe some of the some of the women that she didn't know that well were smarter than she thought they were. Or it also makes you wonder, like, if the other people in the bunkers were like, were there any educated people or were they all uneducated people on purpose? Yeah, And it's too bad, too, because maybe some of them used to be smarter. But they say, like, for the first several years that they were all kind of drugged up and docile and they think it affected them cognitively as well. Yeah, because they don't even, like, really remember exactly what happened, how they ended up in the bunker. Yeah. And, like, part of that is probably just trauma response, but, like, 
they they didn't say like there was an ongoing war or anything. It like all happened in one night. Yeah, lot lots of really intriguing stuff, and and all those details are fun, and they they keep you questioning. Even though again, the, the lead tells you throughout the book like we never did find out any of the answers for this. Mm-hmm. It's still always nice to get those new pieces of the mystery introduced. But the more human story, which is the women trying to make a new life, figuring out how to build little like uh, huts for themselves and figure out interpersonal dynamics. Mm-hmm. A lot of that stuff as well is, is just, uh, yeah, really moving in its way. Yeah, it's very reflective. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm sure we'll get to when we get to Piranesi. As someone who really loves, and it's one of the reasons I'm so attracted to classic science fiction, is I love stories that are about lots of technical details, people who are really focused and kind of obsessive in their mindset. And so I could very easily put myself in with this lead character who picks up on details very quickly. Throughout the book, she becomes like obsessed with counting things. That's how she like grounds herself. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm not very mathematically minded myself, just that kind of obsessive uh, mindset I relate to. And so I, I appreciated all that stuff throughout the book too. Yeah. And it's always interesting. Like, I like the part where she started being able to basically just like tell time like in her mind just like automatically like yeah. an internal clock and i liked when they commented that like maybe it wasn't like anything amazing maybe it was something that people were always capable of but they just never had the need before mm-hmm. which i thought was an interesting thing because yeah like they're put in this world that's just like completely removed from how humans have ever lived before really i mean i guess in the second part you could say it's similar to how like hunter gatherers would have lived but other than the fact that they did have they didn't have to, like, find their own food or forage or anything like that. Yeah. They could just go into bunkers and get what they needed. And how do you tell time in a place that has no seasons and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't even know if it's a 24-hour clock that you're working off because you don't know if this is Earth or another planet. Mm-hmm. And that also makes you wonder if, like, um, yeah, like, maybe... I guess my best, like, thought for what would have happened is that uh, it was, like, supposed to be an experiment and... The guards were probably part of the experiment, too, and everybody was just kind of, like, doing what they were supposed to do for the experiment, but the people who were actually in charge of the experiments never actually showed up. But maybe the guards didn't even know that, you know? Hmm. That's that's what it seems like to me. Like, it was supposed to be an experiment, but something went wrong at the top, but that didn't get communicated to the people <laughs> at the bottom, you know? Yeah. But then it just... It still doesn't explain what happened to the guards. And a further mix things up too because they mentioned that an early part of the book this uh, new guards introduced this young guard and so we know that they're refreshing the stock of guards even like they're sending people out yeah so true that's a good point so it wasn't just people stuck there and and she was really intrigued by that too because it just showed that like there was a variable that could change yeah, and I liked her whole section of trying to gain control over the guard even though it never went anywhere in terms yeah. of he never did notice her or she would just be like, okay, I'm, you know, these guards, they're always watching, but they don't pay attention to us as individuals. We're just like a herd. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to sit here and always stare at this one guard anytime he's on duty. And then she also realized that even the guards' times don't seem like they're regular, like the way that they would switch up their shifts. Mm-hmm. It could just suddenly be, you know, like two hours or 10 hours. And sometimes they would seem like really exhausted, but they'd still be going. So even them, they're, they're fucking with their time. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and like... And it seemed like when they got out of the bunker or out of, like, the cage in the bunker, like, the guards weren't sleeping there or anything. Yeah, that was really weird. (laughs) They didn't have any personal belongings there. 
or if they did, they took them all, which seems unlikely because they ran out in, you know. Yeah, to the point that some of them even, like, dropped, like, their, like, at least one time they find a, a dropped whip, mm. but still nothing else. So it's like, oh, they had time to, you know, drop their weapon, but they couldn't grab any of their belongings. So where the hell were these belongings? Yeah, it's like, that's why, I don't think that this was ever brought up in the book, but that's why, like, the thing that almost makes the most sense to me is that they're in some kind of, like, um alternate reality that they can just go through some kind of like portal or something to go back to like the normal world yeah it could be because i don't know what else would make sense oh i did also think it was interesting that she it was like her puberty stopped at a certain age mm. well that's normal it's like a trauma response when you're like malnourished oh malnourished mm. no well you're malnourished and you're not getting any sunshine or you know yeah like uh in flowers in the attic that's what happened to the to the little girl right oh yes yeah forgot about that (laughs) it's the same kind of idea right yeah and they tie that into what finally kills her in the end and that's one of the things where she's like oh you know there's this technology here maybe i could reach out and find someone to help because i don't know if it's that serious but i could never figure out how to work this stuff so kind of waiting for the death to come yeah it's so interesting to think that like for all we know like there was internet and phones and like a radio and maybe she could have just like if the other women had been there they could have figured out how to connect to other people yeah that makes it extra sad yeah it does you're like um she's in this bunker that she ends up in there's all this literature there these books and she reads through them all repeatedly trying to figure them out but it's just like oh they're all talking about things that i just could never have experienced or know about so it's just I just, I can't make heads or tails of a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was sad too. <laughs> um, I meant to look at it because we, I picked up a, a physical copy of it. We both read it digitally, but I found a physical copy and I meant to look through because in the digital version that I was reading, there was no chapter breaks or extended breaks between paragraphs. It was all like, it almost seemed like it was just like a, a giant block of text, just page after page after page. And I, I was curious, did it look that way on your version? I, I don't know if we read the same one. Uh, I don't think so, but I don't really, I'm not sure I really paid attention to it. I mean, are you saying there were no paragraphs? Well, at least from what I was reading, it didn't look like there was any, like, break points. You know, no chapter breaks, no lines of just like, okay, you can take a little break here. And it didn't even seem like there was extended breaks between paragraphs. It was just like... Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I mean, I didn't notice anything that made it feel like that that made me think about it at least it was definitely all like formatted as one chapter i mean it wasn't a super long book yeah yeah but i just always look for that as a chance to be like oh okay i'll take a i'll go take a bathroom break when i get to this chapter and i kept noticing i was like hey is there ever going to be a chapter in this thing and then it ended and i was like oh (laughs) no break ever yeah you don't really see that either so i thought that stood out for me I liked um, that it kind of like the repeated quite a few times, like the I who have never known, etc. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like something that the character fixates on. Mm-hmm. And just as she's writing this reflected piece, knowing that she'll yeah, never experience that. Yeah, and it is, yeah, it's interesting because like she grew up with all these other women who like remember a past life, but she only knows like this world that she lives in. And she just feels like she's like, missed out on so much and I mean, it's understandable that she'd feel like she's not a real person the same way that other people are because so much of being a person is your life experience yeah yeah and I, I guess there's only really two men in the book that 
have an impact on her in a way. That first, that, that young male guard that stirs uh, kind of unknown feelings in her, she gets, she creates like this secret around it because uh, I guess she dreams about him and seemingly, you know, has a, an orgasm, I think. I, don't, I wasn't quite sure what they were going for with that. I was assuming that's what they meant when she would have her like internal explosion thing. Yeah. And then later on, there's that, uh, as she finally, after all the women are dead, she says goodbye to them and then goes to the bunker that they've been living next to and kind of says goodbye to the dead there. And she sees this one man who died, but before he died, he perched himself up with like uh, the mattresses. Said he could always be staring forward, even though he's dead. He can always be facing his, his captors if they ever come mm. to open up the cell. And that sticks with her as well. The image of that defiance. And she decides that that's what she wants to do when she dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like. I especially like that moment. I thought that the one, the picture of all the the bunkers filled with the dead. I just, I thought that was impactful just in general. Mm-hmm. But that one, I, I I really liked, and that it it moved her in enough that she wanted to share that same defiance when she eventually died. Yeah, that it it made her feel some kind of connection. It's interesting to think about how many bunkers there must have been. Yeah, and wonder if you know somewhere else like miles and miles away where she never could have walked to there there were other people in the same situation and it's sad near the end when she reflects on the fact that like even if other people had gotten out of the bunker they would probably all be dead by now so it doesn't matter because she was the (laughs) youngest (laughs) yeah that's very sad and she even reflects like oh like what if i just turn around and gone the opposite direction of our bunker like oh we never thought to do that we just always Mm -hmm. kept going forward so maybe there would have been answers there. And also, um, I like that, like the the last bunker she finds, the different one, that uh, she she said that she always kept the like door to it open, so that if anyone ever came across it, they would see it. Yeah, and that one was weird too, because wasn't it just marked with like a couple of, like boulders? It was just like a pile of rocks. Yeah. I don't think boulders, just like a pile of rocks, and she just noticed it because she was like, somebody must have piled these rocks up, like it's not natural. Yeah, but she never found anything like that again. And underneath it was like a bunker that, yeah, was like a real bunker, like a like a uh, doomsday survival style bunker, not a prison style bunker. Yeah, yeah, but definitely a lot of cool questions, a lot of great reflective kind of like what what makes a person a person, like what what is humanity? Like if you've been mm-hmm. so removed from everything that would you know relate you to the rest of humanity, are you still really a part of that species in a way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that stuff just just really great in that book yeah it just it gives you so many interesting thoughts and it's just i just find like the prose and the story and everything about it just so impressive like i've never really read another book like that yeah yeah and the prose yeah was really really great throughout whoever did the the translation yeah the translation was fantastic yeah i I remember telling you i think it was a few days ago that whenever i see that books are translated i get like a slight hesitance because I don't know if I just read several when I was younger that were like super dry and I was like, oh, like, I don't know, this feels like they got some sort of academic who doesn't know how to write, but just knows the language. And so they translated. Mm. I don't know what gave me that impression, but I still have a little bit of that hesitance when it comes to translated books, but I should probably get over it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is always interesting because it's like, even though this was a, obviously a very good translation, it's like, unless I... I learned French, like, I'm, I'll am i never know exactly how the author wrote it. Yeah. Which is always a little sad, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And it's interesting that, uh, yeah, like you said, this book came out in 1995. 
Um, but it was only translated like a few years ago, like less than a decade ago. And it was her first translated book. And um, I commented this to you when I first read the book. Like I find it, it makes sense because it didn't come out that long ago in English, but I find it surprising that this book isn't well known. Like it feels like it should be considered like a modern classic, doesn't it? Yeah. And may- maybe it'll have its resurgence. You know, maybe in the next couple of years, you'll see more of it. Because I was kind of surprised to find it at the bookstore. Because I was like, oh, it came out in 95. That's when I realized that it was translated so recently. Mm. But yeah, I just, it feels like it's such a good book. And it's like so, it just makes such an impression. Like it just feels like it should be more famous or more talked about than it currently is. Yeah. Like when I finished reading it, like I thought, that when I like looked it up on Goodreads and stuff that it was gonna be you know like have like like so many reviews and ratings and stuff like it felt like a famous book and I was like oh like it wasn't like I just kind of found it by chance like because someone reviewed it but it's not like super well known yeah hopefully it finds its audience because I I feel like yeah once people do start discovering it it'll yeah rise up the ranks and it was interesting um we saw the end that yeah that she was Jewish and that her family fled during the war, which definitely makes sense, like, with the plot. Yeah. You can definitely see, like, the comparison to, like, internment camps and stuff like that. Yeah, and maybe some of the the chaos of not really understanding what's going on when suddenly things change. Yeah, just, like, all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah, because the women talk about, because, again, these were all just kind of regular women. Maybe they weren't paying attention to, like, reading newspapers, but they were like, oh, there was some... You know, talk of like a war going on and some political tensions rising, but none of them really paid enough attention to fully know what was going on. So, yeah, who knows? It says that um, this book, when it was originally published, was published with the title The Mistress of Silence, which I feel like I Who Have Never Known Men (laughs) is such a better title. Like, I'm glad that they decided to change it, especially because um, looking at the name of it in French, it was clearly this title is a lot more similar. Yeah, I, I remember when I saw that title, I was like... I'm pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure the, the title of this is like a direct translation in French. So I don't know why they went with the Mistress of Silence at first. Yeah. That just feels wrong. It does. It it has a more silly kind of air. Yeah. And I think the, the early covers of it looked kind of... Like, they weren't great either. It was kind of like, oh. With the woman on the front? If that's... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't mind that cover. I mean, that's the one that I was more used to until you bought me uh, this new one with the ladder coming out of the bunker, which is beautiful. Yeah. I guess there's a few different covers. There's one with, like, a woman with, like, kind of, like, an orange circle in front of her face. I'm just looking on Google, and there's one that I don't really like, which is, like, the full body of a woman with, like, a veil. And, like, it looks like she has wings, which I don't really understand. (laughs) That's the one I was talking about, yeah. And then the title... Gives you a completely wrong expectation of the book. It's like, oh, this is going to be some sort of fantasy story. Yeah. Then you open up and it's this grim. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, um, I'm looking at the um, the Belgian copy and that's a really interesting cover. Hold on, I'll send it to you so that you can see it. I like that cover quite a bit. It's kind of like surreal. Oh, yeah. No, that one I did see. That one's a really cool one. Yeah. With like a, like a naked, you can barely even tell that it's maybe a, a female body, mm-hmm. just like facing against this stone and this, you know, that that one's a really cool one. I like that one. Yeah, I do like that one quite a bit. But yeah, this was definitely a very interesting book. I, I really hope that they uh, publish more of her books in English at some point. 
Yeah, that's always a sad thing to think too. There's there's been a couple authors who I've liked their books and like, oh, I want to check out some more of their work, but they were never translated to English, and it's like, oh, is that it's like we have to learn French? Yeah, <laughs> because I mean, her writing was just so so good. Like, I just want to see more, you know? Yeah, yeah, and you just wonder for like the older books, like, are they ever going to make it to English, or has they just been kind of, yeah, you got to either learn the language or just give up. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah, definitely high recommend. It was one of the best books I read from last year as well. It would definitely be in that top three, I would say. Except you read it this year. Well, yes, that, that's fair. I, I started it last year. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you did. I thought I did. I thought I started it in late December. No, because I was pretty specific about us not starting them until January. That's fair. Well, I I, I thought I'd start in December. Maybe I did start this year. Well, it's it's definitely off the off the bat for twenty twenty four. Yeah, in the the high crop <laughs> out of the five or six books I read this year. Yeah, I de- I always um I thought of it as like kind of like a like a sister or a cousin to um The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're both written you know after the fact and kind of a reflective way. Mm-hmm. This one I found much more engaging. <laughs> um, I agree. I agree, but that's why I kind of thought that it would be considered like some kind of like classic of feminist literature, you know. Mm. Because it also asks, like, a lot of interesting questions about, like, what is the point of men? Yeah. Just as someone who, you know, never, never really had any men in her life. Questions of, like, I thought it was interesting near the beginning of the book when she said, like, was being beautiful for men? And they were like, yeah, like, we thought it wasn't, but it totally was. Like, we don't care about that now. They said, but then after they got out of the bunker, they did seem to care, you know? They were trying to, like, you know wash their yeah. hair and brush their hair like that it wasn't even they thought it was when they didn't have the opportunity to be beautiful but then once they had their freedom like they did still care for their own selves so they were wrong about that yeah which is interesting it's more like it's more like when you don't have freedom being beautiful is the last thing you care about yeah, and especially in that the prison where they're all their like dignity was stripped from them they were exactly. just having to exist as yeah oh and i did think it was sad that the women because uh, especially when she was younger our lead character became obsessed with trying to get them to to tell her everything that they knew and they always held back certain things especially when it came to interactions with men or or sex mm, and they always just said like oh like why do you need to know like it will never matter yeah it's something you'll never experience you'll never know them and she felt so frustrated because it's like you don't like sometimes you just want to know things just for the sake of knowing yeah and why do you get to hold this secret knowledge that i'll never get mm-hmm. and she often felt like it was something that they were kind of like holding over her on purpose because they were like jealous of her in some ways or and and there's no way to know if that's true or not or like resentful of her that she didn't have like this past to miss yeah i always thought it was just that they were probably too it was probably too painful to imagine like their husbands or sons or... yeah yeah because and because the book is only from the perspective of of this one person like we never really know like how hard it is for them like they had lives and families like can you imagine if we just like woke up tomorrow and we were just in a bunker and that was the rest of our life and even worse it's probably it was probably years into it before they finally were able to kind of confront it since they were drugged for the first several years. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, everything's been gone. Yeah. Or at least they think they were. They don't even know for sure that they were drugged. Yeah. They just assume it based on the fact that their memories are so hazy. 
I mean, for all we know, this was like a social experiment that they agreed to. Yeah, yeah. We we don't know for sure. Maybe they gave a bunch of money to their families and they're like, this is what's going to happen, but you're going to forget about it. Do you consent? You know? <laughs> yeah, and I thought it was sad too. Our, our lead kind of theorized maybe the reason they never wanted to talk about their families is because they never knew if they wound up in a bunker too somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have to wonder what happened to their kids because she was the only kid there. Yeah. yeah. And also thought it was interesting that they made a clear note to say that none of the women knew each other. And it was probably like that in all the other bunkers, too. Yes. I was about to say that, too, that they seem to have actually gone to effort to make sure that they had no connections to each other. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of really interesting questions. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious, since this was your second reading, if there was, if you maybe saw more connections than maybe I did, but I, I guess that'd be difficult to know. I don't, the thing is, like, I think, I don't know this for sure, obviously, I haven't, like, looked into it, but... To me, it feels like the author purposely never made a decision. Like, she probably didn't even know the answers to any of the questions, you know? Yeah. So there would be no way to, to fully make a connection because there's genuinely no answer. Well, do you feel like we've uh, come to the point to switch over to the second book? Yeah, I think so. All right. On to my pick, uh, Piranesi. Um, I don't actually, I don't remember when I heard of this book. It may have been when it came out and it was getting some some buzz, uh, but the only reason I ended up buying it and listening to it on Audible is because uh, it was up for one of those big sales they do every month where they have books for just $5, and I just bought a whole bunch, and I was like, Paranasia, I remember hearing good things, I'll toss that in, and I put it off for a while, I was like, oh, I'll get to it eventually, and when it came up, I, I came away really surprised, and I was like, oh, wow, this, I wish I'd bumped it up sooner. <laughs> And similar to the first book, it's about a character who, I mean, they're called Paranasi at times, they're also called uh, Matthew at times, but they themselves never really give an identity of who they, they think they are. They don't really have a name for themselves, just the, I think they say the beloved child of the house is the only name that they have, which I thought was quite cute. <laughs> and it's this character who lives in this gigantic house, it's thousands and thousands of, of halls and the top levels are open up to the sky and, and it's filled with birds and the bottom level is filled with this great ocean that's always crashing against the walls. And yeah, the, the character thinks of themselves as scientists and they're just going around kind of cataloging all these endless statues that are in the house. And as they as the plot goes along, they, they start to uncover certain mysteries that are in the house. Like For, for example, there's these uh, 13 skeletons that are there. We discover the origins of those and there's this other person that lives in the house sort of and you know, honestly for me both times through the mysteries surrounding the house or the the origins of all those the skeletons and things like i thought that stuff was interesting but the thing that attracted me to this book the most the thing that i loved going through this book was just living in that house and exploring all the different statues i thought a lot of that stuff was just so cool mm -hmm. and of course me i love all things water so i love the ocean and uh, our lead character has to fish to get food, and I thought a lot of that stuff was just so pretty to, to picture. You would want to live there? Uh, well, every time I've I've gone through the book, the two times, I was definitely like, man, I would love to, to visit a place like this. It'd be so, it would be so amazing, I think. <laughs> but maybe not to lose your mind. Do you think so? Because I know that the character felt like the place was really amazing but i don't know from the descriptions for me it didn't it sounded like it would be kind of like creepy and dark and scary and dirty 
Well, like the lead said, really nowhere in the house was dark. There was only like maybe one or two places where in the upper levels where it was dark with no windows and there'd be statues that had a more like violent edge. But otherwise it sounded really pretty and, and I mean, I guess the, the flooding wouldn't be so fun. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I guess initial thoughts for you. What were you thinking coming out of reading Paranasi? I thought it was interesting. I definitely thought it was interesting how the two books were very similar because they were both told in like kind of an epistolary. Yeah. And obviously both about people kind of like in a strange place and they didn't know how they got there or why. And yeah, they both kind of have a similar mystery to them. But then this one obviously was solved in the second half of the book. And it's it was definitely interesting, like like trying to piece together the clues and then getting an actual answer at the end. But I definitely liked it, but I personally found the first half of it a little bit too slow for me. Once it started to pick up and you started to get more answers, I found that more interesting. Oh, okay. That, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I just, I thought all the, the way that they would write the journal entries were just so cute and charming. I just, I loved all that stuff. I loved just listing, like there was one, because the other, the other person lives in the house, like Paranese, the, the character they're they're kind of a mess like their their clothes are all kind of tattered and falling apart they don't have any shoes they're just kind of living as this lost uh in a way like a lost child even though he's in his 30s he speaks and thinks in a a childlike way and when the other gives him it's like oh you know i need you to explore this place where the there's a lot of debris like here like have these shoes and our lead is so excited that they make a journal entry like here's all the gifts that the other gave me (laughs) like oh i'm so blessed to have such a good friend I just love the the obsessive uh, detailing in all the journals. Yeah. Yeah, that that for me is just yeah, tickles me very well. <laughs> <laughs> and like going through and describing all the different statues because that's what the character does for to keep himself busy in his scientific research is just going through and describing all the the statues. And I even loved uh his at some point he makes a journal entry being like, "I just realized, you know, I'm I'm obsessed about making these journals precise and I even have a separate journal that I just use to catalog all the journal entries. And I just realized that I made a mistake by using two different dating systems. And I much prefer this one where I just describe the years as like the year the albatross came to the southwestern halls. Just all those funny little peeks into the, the inner workings of this character's mind I just really enjoyed in the first half. And so when we get to all the answers and it becomes a little bit more plotty, I'm just slightly less interested in that, even though I thought that stuff was interesting as well. And I kind of thought it was funny because some of that stuff felt like a little bit of a parallel to Silver Nitrate, which we talked about last year. Yeah, I, I can see that to a degree, yeah. Yeah, kind of looking at this this cultist and how his own drive towards finding a gold influenced all these people around him. But I, I liked it a little bit more in this version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately for the other <laughs> one. <laughs> But I also thought it was interesting, um, kind of like the um, re- religiosity of the book. Hmm. I thought it was interesting how, like, the main character seemed to like revere the house as like almost like a like a godlike entity. And I thought there was a lot of interesting focus on religion and, I guess, kind of like the way that. Uh, human nature seems to just create religion from anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, I started to wonder on the second uh pass through because the the other character he the reason that he comes to the house and the reason that uh, i guess spoilers 
uh, traps this character in the house, Piranesi or, or Matthew Sorensen, is because he believes that this house holds this uh, connection to the ancients. Like back in the ancient world, the myths and, and legends would talk about how people would speak to gods and kind of like be in, be in contact with this more uh, magic side of life that in the modern world we've rejected and we've lost that knowledge but that it passes from our world and goes into another one and he believes it's trapped inside this this labyrinth dimension and it's it's funny when because uh, because Piranesi thinks that he's he's like okay I'll, I'll help you I'll be a part of your pursuits you know that'll kind of be a side uh part of my scientific pursuits that I just do to help you out but at one point he's like you know i this guy, he's always talking about wanting to connect to these these ancient worlds, these gods, but I feel like I'm already there. Like, the house talks to me all the time. Mm -hmm. And even the birds talk to me. They, they send me messages. So I kind of wonder in the second part, like, maybe there was, maybe the birds were sending him messages, or maybe it's just his his funny way of thinking that he saw it that way. Mm -hmm. But of course, that's another part of the book that I really enjoyed is, because uh, I, I love birds, and so getting to see his relationship with all these different ones. And at one point he uh, starts to discover, because early on we realized that there's parts of his journals that might be missing. And he finds these uh, crumpled up, uh, torn up pages. And some of these rooks have taken them and made it part of their nests. And so he's kind of like looking around like, oh, can I can I get these, these uh, piece of paper? But the rooks are a little bit grumpy. And even the, the aforementioned albatross, I thought the scenes with that one, when the albatross did come, I thought that was so pretty. Mm -hmm. I just really enjoyed all that. Yeah, I like that too. I would like to be friends with birds. Yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah, and I also liked, because, uh, like, again, I mentioned that there's the 13 dead bodies, and I like how he uh, cares for them. Like, he brings some little tributes, speaks to them, and has that kind of honor for... That was that was the other thing that I thought kind of, like, leaned in the more, like, religious uh, side of things. Yeah. You know, I liked when a new character came in the book later. It was kind of like, oh, like you go and give tributes and speak to the dead. And he's kind of like, yeah, you don't you do that in your world? And she just has to like think like, oh yeah, I guess we kind of do. It just seems different in that way because of the way that he still believes that they're there in a way, mm -hmm. like their spirits are still there, which lots of people do. Yeah, I'd go as far as to say most people do. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that's that's probably true. Yeah, and I did like. Uh, in the early sections as well. I thought it was so cute. His obsession with the, the 16th person that he imagines is out there. Because mm. there's the 13 dead. There's him and the other. And he's like, oh, who am I writing these journals to? Maybe it's to you, the 16th person. <laughs> and then once he thinks that there's a... Once he discovers evidence that the 16th person is there, he starts getting all this like suspicious thoughts, but then wanting to be like, oh, but I still want to reach out and meet them, even though the other's telling me that they're against me. And so there's there a little exchange when they're like writing notes back and forth. I thought that that stuff was cute too. And yeah, I thought it was cute too. That that um, that police lady sure went to a lot of work to to find that guy. Yeah, yeah, police stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, oh no, but a cab. Yeah, like at the end when he Matthew Sorensen, I guess, sort of meets that cop that uh, knows her and he's like oh let me tell you how great of a cop she is she she saved this little girl from <laughs> and i was like oh, i don't really care about this part uh, let's skip past this <laughs> <laughs> um but, I, but also that part of the book was was sad both times i read it after the lead decides to leave the labyrinth and tries to return home but it's like oh these i'm going back to 
the family of Matthew Sorensen, this person that's in me, but I'm not. And people treat me as if I'm that person, but I'm not really them. And then they start to look at even the idea of Paranasia as like this other person that they maybe once were, but aren't anymore. But maybe you're a little bit more like that. And I thought that that element as well got into the question of like, yeah, who are you just the the body that you are? Are you your memories or, you know, are you this always changing kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They both, uh, both books had similar themes in the way of just like, um, like what makes a person who they are. Yeah. And what they are. Yeah. And I, I thought it was really uh, a sweet moment too, because we find out that there's, you know, been other people who are trapped in there and one of them escaped. And I like that after uh, Paranasi left the labyrinth, they decided, because they had the ability to keep coming back, mm-hmm. they went to that person and was like, oh, I'm here to, to bring you back. And I thought that that was a really sweet little moment, too. Yeah, I thought that was nice, too. Yeah, both times I was slightly confused by the very last entry, when it seems like, you know, some time's passed and maybe this character's become more, like, they don't really know who they are, don't really know what world they belong in anymore. And he says that he starts seeing, like, the statues in person. He sees an old man on the street. He's like, oh, I know him. He's in this hall, in this statue form. And then he sees a family and thinks the same thing. I just wasn't quite sure what they're going for there with that. For me, that was connecting it to, like, the religiosity that I was talking about the whole time. Where uh, they, you know, if they view, like, the house as, like, like, the god of them. And, like, the, yeah, like, the entity of the their universe like i think that was them just like realizing that like their religion like followed them into any world Mm -hmm. yeah house like always a part of them that i mean that was that was how i saw it you know how people be like oh yeah you can see god and everything like the same kind of thing it's interesting it doesn't really seem like you you read any of it in that like religious way that i did yeah not quite the same way yeah that's true because I, I got a lot of that from it, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I guess going over to the little bit of the more plot side of things, I did think the whole occultist angle mixed up with this scientific study was interesting, and I liked the, the first kind of introduction to it, when suddenly this uh, old man shows up in the labyrinth, and he has that exchange where it's kind of an exposition scene, when he's just explaining like, oh, he doesn't really tell the character anything, but all the things he's saying give us clues to what's going on mm-hmm. yeah i like that exchange too yeah and i thought it was interesting that that guy went and told told the cops where where he was yeah but not even because he cared to save him just just to spite uh the other yeah the <laughs> other guy yeah and it was too bad too because i felt i almost felt bad for the other in a way because he did seem like a nice companion sort of i guess, I guess all the way along he was terrible in his way but Paranese is just such like a, a kind, nice person. Yeah, you you were just seeing him as nice because you were seeing it from his perspective. Yes, exactly. And so to see losing that friend and even him afterwards, he is like, oh, I can't leave the labyrinth. I got to deal with his body now. I got to bring him and lay him to rest with the rest of the dead mm-hmm. and make sure he's comfortable and at home. I definitely felt like he lose, had gone a little bit crazy too. Yeah, I think with this book... It's just a lot of those little moments because in a way it's it's kind of episodic with the little journal entries. Because mm-hmm. sometimes they'll be more plotty. Sometimes they'll just be random, like I said, like listing off all the gifts that the other gave him. And so I just, I appreciate that kind of just spending some time in someone's head 
Yeah. And I like also every now and again it seems like the memories of his past life seep in, but maybe he doesn't even notice. Like he mentions that there's this statue of a fawn in its uh I think it says that there's a little girl in it, or I, I can't remember if he just says the fawn in general. Just from, makes him think of a snowy forest and a little girl with the fawn. And it's just like a, him remembering the Chronicles of Narnia, even though he may not know that he ever read it or that it ever existed. Yeah. But just the memories of the past seeping through. I thought that stuff was, was pretty. I wonder why being in that house makes you lose your memories and stuff. Yeah, I think it's tied into old labyrinth myths in general. Mm. I can't remember all the details, but I feel like that's a part of them. That makes sense. They like you lose your sense of direction in yourself. And I thought it was cool too when he pointed out because uh, because a lot of the book is him describing what he thinks the different statues represents, and he mentions to the older scientist when he shows up like, oh, you know, maybe it's part of your real world that's just being represented here, like like that. Uh, you're the memory of something passing through just encapsulating these these statues oh, that was cool too yeah that is interesting it's definitely weird to think why that world would have even come from or what its purpose would be yeah and i thought it was cool too they they mentioned that there's other worlds too this is just the one that the main guy liked the most that he would go to the most mm-hmm. but there was all these other doors and yeah it made me interested to wonder what what else was out there for that and just to wish that this kind of stuff was real, because <laughs> it'd be so cool to visit. I wouldn't want to go there. For you don't me, think like, so? I I do think the descriptions of it were nice and stuff, but to me, it more seems scary. Like I won't wouldn't want to be in like this big, scary house with like an ocean and giant birds flying around. Like that all just sounds scary and dangerous to me. Oh, it sounds pretty cool to me. And just seeing all the statues, because I I think they're saying that. Most of the statues are, like, gigantic. Like some of them would be, like, 18 feet. I mean, I guess that's not that huge for a statue, but... <laughs> and I wouldn't want to be alone there, either. I don't like being alone. Unlike our two main characters in each book, who both like being alone. But this character in this book also comments on the fact that they couldn't imagine preferring to be alone, so... Yeah, like, once uh, the other was fully gone and they realized that they were actually weren't living in, in the house with them all that time... Mm-hmm. Once they figured out they were really alone, they, they couldn't stay there forever anymore. Yeah. But it doesn't really matter considering they can go back whenever they want anyways. Yeah. And it just it seemed a sad place to leave off at the end of the book. Just with not really knowing not really knowing where they belonged or who they even really were at that point. But that's okay. Yeah. It was just such a nice uh, kind of happy book for the, the early part. It's always sad to leave on a sad ending with that kind of thing. Yeah. But it, it definitely did work. Yeah, no, it worked well. And yeah, like I said, it's interesting with the two books that one came to like a very like um, very like thorough conclusion. Like, oh, like I don't have any questions. Like everything was explained and it all makes sense. Even if it was weird, like it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other one it was just like a ton of questions and nothing makes sense. But then they had like very similar plots. And that's a complete coincidence that we both chose yeah. books with... Um, such similar plots and themes. Yeah, because I didn't know what you were going to pick you know, when I picked mine. So Yeah, and I, I didn't know anything about yours. So yeah, I had no idea until I started reading it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting that like they have... They're very different books, but they do have a lot of similarities. Yeah, and I'll say for books that are epistolary fiction like this, usually I find them in some way... I don't know how to describe it. Like there's, They have that kind of episodic quality that this does. 
but for whatever reason I find them just less engaging like or less uh pull to return mm -hmm. like the episodic nature like I could read uh, like 100 pages and be like okay I've got my fill oh I don't have a really really a reason to come back you know mm -hmm. or necessarily a strong pull so I'm not sure why this one maybe it was just the charming quality of the character like you it has to do with the prose too a lot of the time epistolary books just have unengaging prose and it's not necessarily the fact that it is told in that format it's just a coincidence yeah th that that could very well be that that's probably what it is like for example frankenstein <laughs> oh, no. like I, I i like the story of frankenstein quite a lot but the way it's written is just so unengaging yeah yeah, or Dracula. Like, and it's not, it's not even, it's not even necessarily the prose. It's just, or like the prose is unengaging, but it's not bad or boring. It's just feels so hard to keep coming back to. I haven't read Dracula. So. Yeah, I had it with both Frankenstein and Dracula, where even if I sat down, read for an hour and, and really enjoyed it, when I put it down, I just don't ever <laughs> feel that call to return. When I was reading Frankenstein, I actually came to a point where I was reading it out loud because that was the only way that I could focus my mind on it. <laughs> oh, another thing that pulls me to this book, um, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure this is a, a British book, and for whatever reason, I just find their their humor and their use of language very charming. Um, but I always love books that have a lot of repetitive language that they just keep saying over and over again throughout the book. It's one of the reasons I love Dune so much. They they also have a lot of that. Mm. And so the fact that this character would always open up their journal entries with uh, the year the albatross came to the southwestern halls, that always just, um, I guess I'd say, tickled me again. For whatever, I don't know how to describe yeah. it. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like that was different for me because you mostly listen to the audiobook. I mostly read it. And like for me, like that's just like the heading of each chapter. So like my brain just kind of skipped over it. Skipped? Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, I probably read like maybe 30% in print and then... Yeah, that's 70%. Because for me, it's like, oh, this is basically like the same thing every time. It's just like the header of the chapter. Mm. Like it'd be the same as like reading like a normal date. Like my brain just basically like skips it. That's fair. You're just listing off all the different halls throughout. Yeah, I just, I, I really, really liked all that. And I like to just picture like, I, it's it's hard to even imagine something as huge as this place is. Or halls that extend for like thousands upon thousands of them. Mm. It's just very... Uh, captivating in my mind um but yeah i don't know if i have too many more places to go for this one would you be interested in reading any of the author's other books have you looked into them at all no i haven't but i, I would definitely be from from this uh, first book definitely be interested have you looked into it or or no no i was just curious because we talked about you know how we hope that uh the other ladies books get uh translated more into english one day so it seems like the way to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I would definitely check out some more. And I'd like to, uh, I don't really know what kind of genre this is even. I guess it's like almost a fantasy and sci-fi intertwined. Yeah, I would say, I would say it's like a literary fantasy. There is some sci-fi to it, but I wouldn't really classify it as sci-fi. I guess that's where speculative fiction goes. Hmm. Where it's like literary, but it has like some genre themes. Um, but I feel like it more leans towards fantasy than sci-fi, even though it's technically sci-fi. Yeah, whatever that blend is, I, I thought it worked really well here. And it had a, a good grounded quality to it. I'd like to see some more of that. Because I mainly just read science fiction these days. Mm. 
I liked something a little bit uh, a little bit more loose in that way, but still filled with all those technical things that I enjoy so much. And then I guess my other question would be, uh, like, whether you think either of these books would be interesting as a movie. I think, I think both of them could be difficult. I think the first one would probably be probably be better. Yeah, I think the first one would be a good movie, but I think that it wouldn't. I think people would be mad about the fact that it doesn't have any answers. Yeah. Like, I don't think that people would necessarily like the movie, but I think that it could be. You could definitely make a good movie from it. Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be a hard movie to for an audience because it would be like a slow. It would have to be like a slow burn kind of movie. Yeah, but so grim, and I feel like yeah, filmmakers couldn't help themselves by wanting to include more details i feel like mm -hmm. but if they could do it right i think that could work i think it could be really good yeah and then what about your book this one it's so much just about kind of living in Piranesi's world i feel like as a movie you would lose some of that kind of just hanging out with him way it maybe yeah would make it more plotty i agree with that i think mine would work better as a movie than yours even though yours has technically more plot than mine yeah yeah, it's all about the balance, too, because even in between, like, I, I really like the fact that, because um, when Piranesi realizes, or again, I guess the character called Piranesi, realizes that um, there's been this mix-up with the journals, that at some point they were um, retitled, and even though they were, um, the, the numbers were changed on them, he still has this index that shows him all the clues that he's been thinking about all these years, wondering, like, oh, who are these dead people? It turns out he'd already had a lot of the information. He just either forgot about it. Well, of course, forgot about it, but <laughs> or just like skipped over it. Because mm -hmm. I think he even said like. It's interesting. Like, did he purposely like forget about it? Because it's like how he like changed the numbers of his journals. Yeah, that I want. I didn't. I couldn't tell if the the other did it to him. Yeah. Like at some point, maybe got a hold of them and changed them to try to. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's yeah some of those details aren't quite as as clear but i did like that um whenever he would read one of the the pieces from that prior self it'd be like too challenging and too traumatic and so he would space it i'd be like okay you know i'll read this and a week later i'll read the next one and so even though that the plot's happening we still get bits of like him describing oh i'm gonna see if i can you know uh, repair my my socks through fish leather stuff like that just mm -hmm. going through the daily life looking at statues the stuff that I really loved in the book. So I appreciate that they intermixed that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And yours is a little longer than mine, right? Yeah, a little bit longer. Yeah, both of them are fairly short, but yeah, a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, definitely the character had like an uh, interesting childlike quality to them. It was um, since when you first start the book, you don't know like their age or technically even their gender at first or anything. Mm-hmm. It's it. I found it hard once you found out to actually picture picture the characters like an adult man. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, because it's so, such a childlike mindset. Mm -hmm. Like I, I always found myself picturing them as more of like a creature even than like a human. <laughs> well, because you have like the statue on the front page, so my mind was always going to like the fawn uh, on the <laughs> cover of the book. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny to picture too because throughout the book until uh, sixteen shows up. Like, he's walking around with his hair all done up with, like, beads and stuff like that. And th these clothes are just, like, tattered. 
So in a way, if you'd saw me, it would not look like... Mm-hmm. Like, they, he probably looked like some crazy homeless guy. Yeah, could be. <laughs> but I did think it was so cute when uh, he wrote this letter to 16 of like, oh, you know, don't worry, you know, abandon your cause to try to turn me crazy. I'll never go crazy and you should think <laughs> about your wickedness. Yeah, I thought that was funny too. And as he was walking away... He was like imagining 16's response of like, oh, reading your message was so insightful. I'm going to try to, you know, maybe you can teach me how not to be wicked. <laughs> he was getting so excited thinking about it. Well, and that that's, so that's another thing that I thought all the talk of wickedness kind of leaned toward that religious aspect. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that your mind didn't really go there at all because I saw so much of it. Yeah, I had some of it. It was just yeah, more wrapped up in the house and then wondering, yeah. like, is the house actually in some way having what that uh, like sentient in some way and it was funny even the way that uh, the others beliefs were described is like oh this is what we're searching for the ability to turn invisible and to control lesser minds and to you know see far away places that's that's why i kind of thought <laughs> like that uh maybe that guy was also going a little crazy because it was all a little absurd yeah. yeah maybe he was spending too much time in the labyrinth even with his only staying for an hour a week Making him go kooky yeah. too. Or maybe he was just already a little kooky. I don't know. That's fair. You know, I did like too when uh, Paranese had his like revelation of like, oh, you know, we're spending so much time thinking of the house as a means to an end. Oh, I'm going to go right to him and tell him that we should abandon this cause and just pursue studying the wonder- <laughs> wonders of the house. <laughs> that was quite cute. Yeah. And I, when we finally got to the scene when we kind of recap what happened with the the kidnapping Mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense too like you can see that how much of an asshole that guy really is without the kind of uh positive perspective paranese yeah yeah definitely and then him just being like oh like i see that you still write with notebooks and paper like are you good at that and he's so prideful like oh yeah i've got this great system it's like, hmm, well, now, uh, do you, does anyone know you're here? Or <laughs> <laughs> Now he was like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he should have uh, should have been a little suspicious <laughs> about that question. It was like, come on, bro. <laughs> like, just say yes. <laughs> it's like, no, I never tell anyone where I go. <laughs> like, bro, <laughs> why would you say that? Yeah, and I liked how that kind of prideful way comes through, too, with the Paranese character. Mm-hmm. Like, when, he, when the... 16 first when they're first hanging out the first time it's like oh how when did you figure out how to like navigate this house how did you figure out your way around and his first impulse is to like boast He's like oh i've always known i'm the beloved child of the house they had to re- try to remember and, and see through that ego yeah so i thought that was the little a nice little tie too between even though he really isn't that person that he was before he still has some of those similar traits mm-hmm. but i feel like i've come down to the, the last little bits of my notes Okay, yeah, I don't have a lot more to say either. Yeah, but I definitely really enjoyed both books. It was a nice uh, nice bit of hot and cold with one really grim and one less grim, more light and fun. Mm-hmm. Dealing with similar themes. Otherwise, I, I still think that um, I Who Have Never Known Men had some hopefulness to it and optimism. Yeah, yeah, they would kind of bounce back and forth in the, the second half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even the first half, like... Uh, obviously it is a grim story but i don't think i read it as grim as you seem to have because you were always reading from the perspective of this person who is like well this is all i've ever known this is just the way it is like a lot of it felt even though like if i was in that situation i would feel terrible it felt very like neutral like well this is just 
just what it is, you know? I think I was always trying to see through the older people's perspective and the, the, the women. Because I feel like That's fair. I probably relate more to them. Because this person did have kind of an alien quality to them. Mm-hmm. I, I did I did like it. There was like one line in that book where she was like, oh, like, I wonder if, you know, there's other people just like going around along their lives in other parts of the universe. And like, they don't know that I'm just like dying here alone and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Yeah, that was always sad too to just and just like the the fact that she was kind of just like i don't even know if like i'm the only human left alive or if there's tons of humans elsewhere like i don't know if like my species has gone extinct and i'm the last of it yeah and then at the same time not even really knowing if she fits in to be a part of them because she mm-hmm. never felt like she was she could relate to the women fully mm-hmm but I like that even as she was dying, like, she didn't feel super hopeful, but she still had some, you know, thoughts of, like, maybe one day someone will come across this this thing that I'm writing. Yeah, and I, I also just appreciated the, the spirit of uh, exploration, which I guess was in both books, mm-hmm. with all of her uh, traveling. Because she didn't, she didn't expect to find any living people near the end, but she was still like, I'm just going to keep looking around and seeing what I can find. Yeah, finding meaning in that. Yeah. Yeah, but oh yeah, we never brought up the um how the bus was just on a road that just ended. Yeah. <laughs> like so blunt in that way. Like anytime you find a clue, it anytime you find a clue and I guess that was kind of like what they were trying to show. It's like anytime you find a cl- clue, it just doesn't actually give you any answer. It's like, yeah, there's a road, but the road is just a random road that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, it just started in the middle of nowhere, ended in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. No markers or anything, just that bus full of dead folks who didn't seem like they knew they were dying. Yeah, but it's um, it leads towards my idea of um, like portals to alternate realities because it's like maybe the bus would have driven into a portal, but the portal was gone. Maybe the alarm that was going off was an alarm saying that the portals were going to close and so all the guards went through them and then they were gone. Hey, yeah, maybe it was another one of those doors that that creepy guy in the Piranesi book found and this was his experiment. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe maybe these two books exist in the same universe. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, it's not possible, but it's theoretically possible. Oh, oh! If there's one detail I, I thought was was, I guess this also ties into silver nitrate a bit in Piranesi. They had uh, one of the acolytes of the original scientists who discovered this other world. She had like this one short film that she did that was filmed there. And they didn't talk about it too much, but it was just like in this little biography that the lead wrote. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. It was like there was all these questions of like, like people were trying to disprove it by finding the filming locations. And it was this like gritty looking strange short film. I was just like, oh, I'd love to see that. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, But yeah, no, I guess that brings us around to the end. Thank you, Brianna, for uh, presenting your pick. I, I like the idea of doing this. And I had a lot of fun uh, reading both. Yeah, we'll have to try to make it a thing to do it every year. Because, like, why not, right? If we're both reading books, it makes sense to each choose our favorite. Hopefully our favorites this year aren't extremely long. <laughs> Hopefully not. It was nice It was nice that this time both books were short. But, uh, but you have to pick whatever your favorite was, even if it's a thousand pages. <laughs> it's not a joke. <laughs> I did go back and forth. I, I constantly, I could not figure out which one. I just eventually had to be like, okay... Which one do I want to reread right now? Which is fair. Between this and uh, 
Arthur C. Clarke's Fountains of Paradise. Another book that I really loved from last year, but it was a bit longer. <laughs> It'll be funny if um, my favorite book of the year ends up being something random, like a rom-com, because I would normally never choose that for a podcast, but you never know. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and I guess uh, tune in for whatever book uh, Brianna picks for us next time. This will probably be my only pick. on the... Except that we're going to do a year one, yeah. Um, I already have some ideas. Well, no, I, I know for sure what I want to choose next, but I'm just trying to get Caleb to commit because I asked him if we can do another book podcast in April and he was like, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But I already know what book I want to choose for it. But if the question is, will it happen or will Caleb say no, we're not allowed to do a podcast? Oh, no. I've already got several books booked for April. Now, now everybody knows that you're abusing me by not letting me do a podcast in april hey we'll see it'll maybe it'll happen but until then definitely check out both these books and yeah keep reading oh and check out brianna's bookstagram i'll include a link in the description <laughs> yeah and follow me there we go and and peace mm-hmm.